So, a Jewish rabbi, a Muslim imam, and a Christian preacher walk into a podcast. It sounds like a joke, but it's really a friendship. I am Imam Omar Shaheed of Masjid Salam. I'm Rabbi Jonathan Case of Beth Shalom Synagogue. And I am Rembert. Ellen Fowler-Skidmore of Forest Lake Presbyterian Church. All of us gathered today in Columbia, South Carolina, to welcome you to our podcast, Abraham's Table. Competition is much more familiar to us than collaboration in American culture. And competition between religions feels like a given. Or is it? How are Jews, Muslims, and Christians to relate to other faiths? Is there such a thing as righteous competition? Do our three faiths encourage and pursue others as converts to our faith? And if so, what's required to convert from one faith to Judaism, to Christianity, or to Islam? Join us as we talk about competition and conversion in this interfaith context. Welcome to Abraham's Table. Good to be at the table again to be able to talk about substantive issues that matter to us, and I firmly believe that matters to all of our listeners as well. And you hit it on the head, I think, when you did the introduction, when you talked about American culture being all about competition, and does that translate over to our faiths as well in terms of competition? And I think for a lot of us, it does. Certainly within the realm of self-reflection, we look at our synagogue and we say, what do our numbers look like? Because it's related to balancing the budget. You know, <laughs> can we pay our bills? What do we need to do? So there is certainly within the context of our, of our faith a built-in competition. Can we you know, get more new members? Do we need to do more advertising? Do we need to do greater programming and outreach and things like that? But I don't think that's really the issue. The issue is more like between us, the competition. And um, do we seek to get other adherents from other faiths, or for that matter, from no faiths, to join us? And I can put a ball out in the middle of the field to start out our conversation, if that's all right. Several weeks back, I spoke about the idea of Judaism being a... uh, religion where we consider ourselves to be the chosen people, and I try to disabuse any wrong notions about that, that being chosen means choosing, that God elected certainly Abraham and all the inherits that the patriarchs and the matriarchs that followed, he chose and elected them, but subsequent to that, it became a matter of self-choosing to be, as it were, a member of the faith, and somebody who picks up the adherence of the patriarchs and the matriarchs and all those that follow in the aftermath. But that doesn't really relate so much to competition as much as choosing oneself to follow the path of Judaism. I'd like to add that in Islam, we are told to invite to the way of your Lord, okay? But with wisdom and beautiful Preaching a beautiful language. Wisdom, use a logical or practical application, but also to use beautiful discussion, beautiful language. 
it says, invite to the way of your Lord. And it says, and argue, uh, discuss with them, meaning others, uh, ways that are best and most gracious, okay? So there is no forced conversion. There is an invitation. So we are told to invite. But we are told that there's no compulsion in religion. There's no compelling anyone to believe or forcing anyone or coercing anyone to believe. But we are told to invite. And, w- and when the Quran says invite to the way of, the, of your Lord, yes. I just want to, I think I understand what that means. What that means is it's not Muhammad. It's God. Yes. It's Allah. Yes. And, and that's probably where then the difference lies because the Christians would say, we would say Christianity is absolutely a religion of encouragement and invitement that seeks to convince hmm. that Jesus commands it in um, one of the famous passages in the New Testament at the end of Matthew's gospel. We call it the Great Commission. One of the last things Jesus says to the disciples is, go now and make disciples of all nations, baptizing mm-hmm. them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so the sticking point comes because in the Christian tradition, it is to invite, and I would amen your no coercion, no compulsion, but there's the issue of Jesus mm-hmm. <laughs> being, being the same as, being a manifestation of fully God and fully human. And I, I would say to all of us, I, I would ask, so all three of us, I would assume, share the responsibility that our faith would encourage us to share the truth, to share the beauty, to share the, the good news as we, about who God is as we've come to know it through Judaism, through Islam, through Christianity, that all of us have that same responsibility. Is that so? No. No. So from the Jewish point of view, um, somebody who doesn't know the idea or have the idea in their theology of God, yes, we would encourage them to have a sense of there being a God in the universe. But in terms of encouraging or even inviting, perhaps I said that backwards, inviting or even encouraging somebody to become Jewish we would not do that. In fact, we would go to the other extreme of discouraging somebody to be Jewish. So if somebody came to me, for example, and they were Muslim, mm-hmm. and they said, I want to become Jewish, my first question would be, now, why do you want to do that? Why don't you go deeper into your own faith mm-hmm. and, and discover what you might be missing? Mm-hmm. Maybe you need to do deeper study converse with somebody who Mm -hmm. is an established authority, Mm -hmm. an imam whom you respect, and then learn more about what it is that you're thinking about giving up. And I would say the same thing to somebody who was Christian as well. What would you say to someone who had no, who had come to know that there was a God and who was not coming from another Christian or Muslim tradition? In such an instance, I would say, well, you know what? If you feel like this is your home, if this is where you think you belong, Come to the synagogue services and observe, and after a while, which I reckon to be several months of coming, 
then you, if you still feel strongly, come talk to me and I'll tell you what's involved with it. And if somebody decides that they want to convert, I will do my almost utmost <laughs> to convince them not to, unless, again, they are, excuse the term, unless they are unchurched, mm-hmm. in, which, in which case they're not leaving something. I, in Judaism, avow that Christianity and Islam are both authentic representations of good faiths that are monotheistic, that encourage you to do the right thing. So I would then turn around and say to somebody coming from that tradition, learn more about what it is that you don't know or that you're unhappy with or that you may be misinformed about it. Mm -hmm. Heaven is not dependent upon a person being of my faith. Yeah, I was was listening because... In Islam, you have to make what is called shahada, that is to witness, to witness that there's one God, one creator, worthy of worship, one creator, worthy of worship. And if someone comes and wants to convert, I always encourage personally that they study, that they study Islam, that they study to see is Islam something that they want to be a part of. And if they decide that they want they would like to, then there's what we call the shahada, to witness that God is one. And there's a second part to it called shahadatain, to witness that God is one and to witness that Muhammad is his servant and his messenger, meaning Muhammad is a servant and messenger of God. Muhammad is not God. So we would, and, and there is no confession. See, that's the other side. There's no confession. You don't have to confess to anyone. You don't have to confess. You have and by to, confession, you mean there's no confession of sin. Of sins, your past, and all that. that there's that, a confession of faith. There's a confession of faith, but, but not, not your past uh, gotcha. life and all that. It's not important because you're beginning a new life, we feel. And so upon that, we will encourage a person to study what Islam is all about so you know what you are getting into if you want to be a part of the Islamic faith. But we do in the... Invite, but the invite, the invitation is extended with intelligence, <laughs> not with force. You know. Hmm. Just out of curiosity, if somebody decides that they want to convert to um, be Muslim, yes, do they need to learn Arabic? No, uh, that's that's very very important. We inc- it is encouraged for the leaders, imams, educators, and others to study Quranic Arabic. Uh, that's what we mean. That's uh, that's what I'm thinking. You mean a person can pray in their own language until they learn how to pray in the Arabic. We encourage them to learn how to pray in the Arabic language. But God reads the heart. We believe that God reads the heart. I think God understands all languages too. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. Mm-hmm. Although in Judaism, we do part of the conversion process is if somebody desires to do so is to learn to read Hebrew so that they can participate mm-hmm. in services. And the idea behind that is that it then becomes universal. If you go to Paris, if you go to China, if you same go to India, thing. you can pray. Exactly. Same, same identical thing with the Arabic. We encourage the learning of the Arabic because, it, like you said, it's more universal wherever you go. For instance, I was in uh, Saudi Arabia and someone pushed me up. It was a smaller mosque. <laughs> but someone pushed me up to lead the prayer. And I led the prayer because I knew the Arabic. And there were Muslims there from uh, Saudi Arabia, from Sudan, and from other places. But 
I was able to lead the prayer and they was able to follow because I knew the Arabic. But if I didn't know the Arabic, I couldn't. Right. So, so, so yes, that universality is there and you want to make the connection. But from the beginning, it's like, come as you are. You heard that before? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I have. Come as you are. I figured you heard that. I remember that from the church, you know, come <laughs> as you are. And then grow. Grow and develop in the religion. Yeah. I don't think this is a surprise to either one of y'all. The Christian church is unabashedly about bearing witness to the gospel and the understanding of God that we feel we see most clearly revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And and always and, and scripture says to tell to to tell the good news, we would say we are elected, and I'm Presbyterian, that's a word we use pretty regularly, but we are elected and the way we would say it is not for privilege. We are elected for service, perhaps for suffering, elected to serve God's purpose. So God doesn't elect us so that others will fan us and feed us grapes. God elects us so that we might become a part of the movement that brings the kingdom of God to earth. And that, that I think, is the driving missionary force. And it, it can be a great a means of grace, and it can be a great, horrible, terrible, very bad, no good thing. You know, Scripture says that we ought always to be ready to give a defense for the faith that's within us. But then what First Peter says is, Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you, yet, and this is the part most Christians forget, yet do, us with, do it with gentleness and reverence. Keep your conscience clear so that when you are maligned, those who abuse you for your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame. So I would say I can barely talk about this without just feeling the weight of the history of the Christian church where people have been forced to convert, Mm -hmm. where from the Crusades to the great mission expansions into Africa, where to be converted to Christ meant you had to learn English and you had to dress in Western clothes, to the, the clothing of racism and bigotry and sexism in the language of Scripture. So there's this very, it goes back in some ways to what we were talking about, it, it is a mandated impulse, and yet when God's good gift is used to serve our purpose, it becomes such a great evil in the world that suddenly faith is coerced, and you have to be a part of this family, and you have to look like me and talk like me. And it's interesting. So converts to Islam learn Arabic. Converts to Judaism learn Hebrew. And because the American church has been so powerful, more often than not, if you wanted to become Christian, you had to learn English, just like Jesus spoke it, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, 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 that that was an injection that I'd like to put there. That's why it says invite all to the way of your Lord. Not to, it didn't say invite all to the way of Islam. Or it didn't say invite, invite people to your way. It said invite. So we, we believe that God has a way in the world that is more comprehensive. Not that Islam is not, but, but we believe. In fact, let me go to another point. Can I, can I say mm-hmm. quickly before you go to another point? I would agree wholeheartedly, but I, I think that to be completely honest, what I need to say is that opinion is not shared by many of my Christian brothers and sisters. That they would say, and, and in part, we talked to 
about competition. Competition in the Christian church is the meanest and the hottest and the hardest between churches. I can imagine. If I can tell a story about once upon a time, not so very long ago when I opened my mouth really, really wide and inserted my entire foot inside of it. So I was invited to address a convocation of clergy to talk about when they administer to patients, particularly Jewish patients, because that's why I was there, what should they be aware of? So I talked to them about you know dietary needs and prayer needs and all that, and I said, then I looked them straight in the eye, there's several hundred people, and um, up until then I had them in the palm of my hand. <laughs> and then I said, and by the way, it really is an insulting idea to go to somebody who is Jewish's bedside and then talk to them about how they haven't seen the light and how they don't accept Jesus. Please do not do that. Mm. And at that point, good thing <laughs> there were not stones in the room. Because <laughs> I, the room turned very frosty at that point. Hmm. Yeah, there is a sense in which if, if I am not busy converting you, then I am not true to the gospel. And I think that's absolutely bull baloney that serves that evil spirit of competition, which means if I get, and if I could be so crude, if I get more bucks and more butts in my pews than you've got, then I'm better, which is a pure T lie. Well, another side of that coin is that there is a uh, CPE instructor. Clinical pastoral education instructor. Clinical pastoral education instructor, right? He said to those who were listening who were not Muslims when I was talking, not Jewish, he said you need to learn how to communicate with with those who are not Christian so you can open up, you know, doors for, you know, for reaching each other than to close the doors. He said, so he said, he asked then, then how should one deal with a person who is Muslim? And I said, one of the better things is to use the term God, you should use the term creator, and also understand that we're not against Jesus upon every peace, but it's how you use that, that phrase and if you're trying to communicate and you're trying to reach people and trying to be effective to all, then you need to be aware of language. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. I would say the sad, ironic truth to, that needs to be spoken to the group that you were addressing is that Jesus' own words give us permission to accept to know his own life. There's no coercion. There's no forced conversion. There's no violence. There's no fear or guilt-based pressure. He proclaims the gospel, and people. some people accept, and some people don't. Even at the very end of the gospel, mm-hmm. the scripture says the disciples, some believed and some doubted. So, in fact, the hardest stuff he has to say is about people who are so convinced that they are right, mm-hmm. that they're willing to kill other people, and mm-hmm. particularly kill him, to prove that they were right. Mm-hmm. So it's that the end justifies the mean. I'm going to save you if it kills you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Has let, happened. Well, let, let, let me inject again. Uh, in the Quran, it, 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 it cautions us to the fact that there will be other communities. As I, you've heard me say this scripture before, uh, this part from the Quran, in chapter 5, verse 48, it says, to each among you we have, we have prescribed a law and a strategy, an open way for living that law. So we believe 
as Muslims, if we, if we believe upon this. Now, don't think all Muslims are of the same mindset that I'm talking now. <laughs> I follow uh, one who lived in America. His name was Imam W. Dean Muhammad. He was called America's Imam because he knew we had to live in this country and live with other people and coexist with others. So he said, in, in looking at this verse, it says, to each among you we have prescribed a law and an open way, meaning that we don't have the only way. There are others who have uh, laws that they follow, and they have a strategy for achieving that, or carrying out that law, living that law, and practicing it. It says, if God, Allah, had so willed, uh, he would have made you a single orientation or single people, okay, or single religion. But his plan is to test you in what he has given you. So here's the part. It says, so strive as in a race. Be competitive in all virtue, in all virtue, right? In all virtues, all goodness. To each is a goal to which God is calling us to, meaning that we're going to return to God, and God will decide in the matter. So I'm going back to what I said earlier. We are to compete in helping to build an ethical society. I don't see the compete, the competition as being against each other. I see it being with each other. Mm-hmm. to help make society a better society. When you read that verse before, what came to my mind immediately was a passage in the Christian New Testament from the letter of Hebrews, the 12th chapter, and it basically says, right now, now that you know this about God, lay aside every weight, every sin that clings so closely, let us run with perseverance. Mm-hmm. The race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the sake of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of God. So he says, it feels like discipline now, but run that race Mm -hmm. looking towards the end goal, and the end goal being the kingdom of heaven and the coming, full coming reign of God. So I would agree that that sense of competition is much truer to Scripture. That's not the way it gets lived out, though often among Christians. I think there's a part of humanity, a part of us all, that just lives for the football game. You know, lives to see who's going to going to knock down the yeah. which boxer is going to knock down the other one first and and, and that that should not translate and, over into a ethical religious life being. And and there's something about human nature that wants to, in order to bolster myself, I have to make you look bad, right? right? So they get, but can I tell you all a quick family story? My child will kill me. But years ago, one of my children... Just don't name the child. Okay, I won't name the child. Years ago, one of my children who has artistic bent won a prize, a first prize at the state fair when she was in high school for her pottery work. And so we got invited to go to the preview to see it all we're looking everywhere to see and we she finally sees it across the room we walk across and there's sort of first place second place third place and her the pot she had thrown was at the top and there was real cute underneath the second there was these little hand-built houses and there was a mama with her daughter saying oh honey that's the cutest thing i've ever seen that was really great mm-hmm. and then she said now wonder what won first place and she pointed at my child's pot and she said well if that's what it takes to win first place i'd have just bought you some and being my means, I just tapped her on the shoulder and said, uh, 
would you mind scooching over a little bit? I want, I want to take a picture mm-hmm. with my child with her pottery. And she immediately said, oh, I'm just kidding. But we had a conversation in the call on the way home, and I said, you know, there's something about human nature that when you feel the tendency to put somebody else down to make yourself feel better, keep your lips closed, mm-hmm. that that only belies your own lack of sense of being known, loved, and claimed by God. Mm-hmm. And so Christian churches are the worst to trash talk each other. Mm-hmm. They don't collaborate on much of anything. It's very hard for them to collaborate. I mean, nobody can hate you like family, mm-hmm. right? There's great truth in what you said. And I, I would just underscore the idea that I believe it is not faith that pushes that agenda. It is human nature that pushes that agenda. And it is the job of faith, the job of religion, to push back against that and to say everybody has a place at the table. Mm-hmm. Everybody belongs here. I, I like to often refer to the fact that nobody is dispensable, right? There's nobody who is unnecessary or, to put it a different way, nobody is a mistake because God doesn't make mistakes. Right. And if nobody is a mistake and if everybody is indispensable, then we have to be one another's guardian to make sure that they rise to their potential to complete a world that would otherwise be broken without them and without their participation, their wholesome participation. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and I would say if, if a Christian wants to use that sense of, you know, sort of exclusion to make myself look better, that's where we've got to hold ourselves accountable. We hold ourselves accountable because if you're going to claim anything in Jesus' name, then you got to say it's not a race to the top. It's a race to the cross. Mm-hmm. So Christians ought to be competing with each other in their willingness and ability to suffer for each other. That's the competition. Mm-hmm. But in the American cultural overlay on the Christian message, what happens is this prosperity gospel. If you love God, God will bless you. And therefore, you have a nicer car, a bigger house, and God must be pleased with you. The message and the example and the life, death, and resurrection of Christ is this race to bear the pain and suffering and injustice of the world so that others might be reconciled. Mm-hmm. That's a race to the bottom. Right. Then I don't see the Christian church running very well. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm reflecting back on something I was reading when I first became. Muslim, Muslim, and was able to read and study the Quran with a clear conscience. It, it drove, it carried me to the life of Muhammad the prophet when he received the message and his people in uh, Mecca who were idol worshippers, not Jews and Christians, they were idol worshippers. They fought him and they drove him out of Mecca. And it was in Medina where he found a place of refuge and acceptance. He went there and he became, after a while, the leader of called Yathrib, Medina now, which means city. And he established for the Jews and the Christians and the Muslims respect. He didn't try to convert the Jews. He didn't try to convert the Christians. But he said what we should do is, do, do is follow our religions and work for the better life, mm-hmm. the life where we can coexist together, the life where we respect each other and promote the good. That's with me in terms of now seeing how, in America, how we can live this religion, Islam, how I can live it, we can live it, and then do what we're doing now, come to the table 
with the Abraham table, right, and discuss with each other, look at each other, knowing that we may have some underlying differences, but being able to process that and still say, let's join hands and deal with what is fair, what is just. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where I get my encouragement from. Mm-hmm. Can I just clarify? I'm just coming back and making sure if I want to answer this to somebody. So if somebody wants to convert to Judaism or to Islam, there's study, and is there a marker by which, I mean, how do you join the mosque? How do you join, like in, in the Christian church, you'd be baptized. You would confess faith in Christ, and you'd be baptized. Is there equivalence? Can we, it, do we have time? In Judaism, we don't believe in a two-way street. We believe in one-way street. If you're going to convert, it's permanent, it's done. So we really want to be absolutely sure that it doesn't become a game of moving, moving chairs. So it's a process in Judaism where we want to see that somebody really is authentically invested in the process. So the minimum amount of time that I think I've ever seen anyone convert in is two years, and it usually takes significantly longer than that. Mm. And it involves not just the idea of believing in there to be one God, but believing in the will of God and their responsibilities to meet out what we have as 613 commandments that are issuing issuance from God and the uh, taking on of the yoke of obligation to, to live that, to live that, which is not easy. So when a person accepts that, that first principle of, uh, principle of testifying that there's one God, then the person wants to learn, has to learn prayer, the person has to learn how to be charitable, the person has to learn how to fast, the person has to learn how to make that pilgrimage. So there that's the prescription, <laughs> the one God, the shahada. But now you have to live out and follow that prescription if you really want to be a practicing Muslim and understand how your life should, should be lived as a Muslim. So, yes, there is constantly learning and growth. But the first is to accept upon that principle and then try to live what supports that and what makes that a reality in your life. Mm-hmm. So, yes, learning, classes, yes, study, yes. There's not any, you know this language, there's no sacrament, there's no baptism. No. In either. Not in Islam. Anything like that. Well, we... A teenager becomes a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah. <laughs> well, in the conversionary process, the precursor to baptism was something called a mikvah, which somebody who converts does go to. So they do immerse themselves in water. They do? Yes. Okay. Men and women? Men and women. Okay. Do the young people who are... Bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs, are, is there any sort of immersion there or no? No, that's an acknowledgement of the coming of age and the taking on of quasi-adult responsibilities within the context of the Jewish community. Gotcha. Just checking. I didn't, there are lots of things I don't know. I've heard a Muslim say that when they accept, a person accepts, go home and take a full bath <laughs> as a sign of taking off the old clothes and putting them in the new. Mm-hmm. But you can know you can take a, a bath and that doesn't do anything but clean your physical body. You want to clean your soul and your spirit. So that conversion is a spiritual side, a mental side also. Yeah. I, I will just further splay out what a mikvah is so that yeah. it just doesn't become like an idea of a bath. Or it has to, has to be running fluid water. Mm-hmm. It can't be a pond. It can't be a lake. It has to be something that where water flows through mm-hmm. what we call in English translation, living water, so that it has to represent, as it were, 
not only the, the waters of the sack in which a child is entombed and ensconced inside the mother, but ensconced in a sense in the, in, the, in the arms of God. So how do you do that practically? Is there, I mean, we have baptismal fonts. Do you have to go to the river? We have a pool that okay. is specially built that um, has flowing water in it. That's the little building to the left of your That's of right. the synagogue. Yep. Oh, mm-hmm. I would love to see that. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. I'll, I'll give tours. <laughs> <laughs> That's very um, cool. Lots of coherence there. I think we, that may be all we can do today. We'll have to start again next time. Thank you for joining us at Abraham's Table. This podcast is a labor of love. Produced by us. Imam Omar Shaheed. Assalamu alaikum. God's peace be on all of us. Rabbi Jonathan Case. Similarly in Hebrew, Shalom Aleichem. May God's peace and wholeness be upon you. And Reverend Ellen Fowler Skidmore in the language that Jesus spoke. Peace. <laughs> <laughs> We are grateful for the musical gifts shared with us by Kyle Lovett from his piece, Shofar Worship on Spotify. We would love to hear from you. If you have questions, suggestions, comments, you're invited to communicate with us using the email abrahamstablesc at gmail.com. From Columbia, South Carolina, we wish you in every language, God's peace. <laughs>